If you remember, we've been looking at a series of negative character traits and how we can move from a negative to a positive. So uh, we've looked at from pride to humility or from judgment to generosity, bitterness to forgiveness. And uh, today we're doing the same thing and we're looking at a big big one today. This is a biggie and uh, I think it's going to be big for many of us because it has been personally absolutely huge for me and continues to be. Uh, the negative trait that we're going to think about today and how we can get free from it, uh, I've come to see has been the number one crippling thing for me in my Christian life. Uh, it's been the number one chain that the enemy has used in my Christian experience to hold me back. Particulars I've sought to uh, step up and step out in uh, responsibility in, uh, in my community or in my family or in my church. Uh, this has been the thing that has tried to stop me. It's tried to keep me back and keep me small and keep me silent and keep me insecure. And it's this, it's comparison. Comparison, that's what we're thinking about today. This frenetic, side-to-side glancing to work out where we fit in the league table of life compared to others, be it in our looks or our wealth or our gifts or our voice or our hairline or whatever it might be for you, where we look side-to-side and we are gripped and consumed by where we fit in compared to others. And it's been massive for me, I tell you, years and years and years of thought patterns like this. Uh, Who am I to lead? Uh, I'm so new to all of this, and she has way more about her, or he has way more years in the tank than me. She can and he can, so I can't. Or who am I to speak? Look at the others who speak. I don't have their authority or their brains or their bookshelves or their red brick background. They can, so I can't. Who am I to step into a relationship, a romantic relationship, or or be a husband or become a father? I don't have the emotional stability to cope if I spill the milk when I'm making breakfast, let alone do those sorts of things. And he can. I mean, he's just great at it. Look at him over there. And he can, so I can't. He's so this, she's so that, and I'm not enough of any of it, so I can't. Now, I don't know what it is for you, and uh, it would be slightly ironic to start comparing who compares most. I compare more than you, and I'm great at comparison and all of that nonsense, but, but I reckon this is a thing for most of us. Even just in church life, which is just one section of what God has called us to in our lives. But even just within church, I wonder if it's things like this. Who am I to offer help or encouragement? I need so much help myself. I'm not like her or him. Who am I to speak up for the voiceless? Have you heard my voice? My voice is so quiet or so weak compared to his or compared to hers. Who am I to pray out? I haven't got her confidence, his confidence. Who am I to follow a dream God has given me? Some Christians can. Extrovert Christians can. But what about me, an introvert Christian? How could God use me? I don't know what it is for you, but however you compare yourself, it is, and you will know this, it is an absolutely wretched way to live your life. 
Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Now, he looks like a man who's had his joy robbed off him. Um, So he would know, okay, comparison steals your joy. And John Tyson said this, comparison is the root of most of the misery we feel in life. Living by comparison produces a fragile soul. Now, if this is a thing for you, and you're thinking, oh no, it's going to be a morning of real challenge. There is going to be a morning of real challenge. There's also incredible hope for you, and I want you to know that. If you are crippled by comparison in your life, there is real hope of freedom. Uh, And I say that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, myself, to the degree that I have built on the things we're going to look at today, to the degree that I have remembered them and lived out of them, I have seen genuine freedom in my life from comparison, and I've stepped up and I've stepped out where I never thought I could. And to the degree that I've forgotten the things we're looking at today, I haven't. Uh, And I say that from my experience. The other reason I say there's hope is because, isn't it amazing that in the Bible, it's flooded with people who struggle with all the same nonsense that you and me struggle with. And the Bible is full of comparers, and it's full of comparers that God can rescue and transform and use. And so you can have real hope if this is your thing. And uh, for the next uh, three weeks or so, I want to, no, 25 minutes or so, I want to look at a guy who, when you meet him, he is so crippled by comparison that he is physically hiding in a hole and refuses to get out. And yet, God comes to him and transforms him and takes him on a journey that you would never expect and uses him to bring a victory for the people of God that you literally wouldn't have picked this guy for. Uh, His name is Gideon. Points you can compare because you seem to have guessed it. Well done. Gideon and our journey for today is going to be his journey from comparison to calling. Moving from living by comparison to living and dying by calling. Should we have a look? Should we have a look at his story? So it's in Judges chapter 6. And uh, just to catch you up, Judges is a book. It's the Game of Thrones of the Bible. It's violent. It's appalling. It's full of sin. It's ridiculous. And it's in the Bible. And it's in the Bible to help us in our mess. And uh, where we pick up the story, God's people were under siege. It was not peacetime. And you need to know that. It was wartime. It was a battle. They had been oppressed by a people called the Midianites. Everybody say, the Midianites. Good, you're awake. And they'd been oppressing them for seven years. But one day, because it's the people of God and God never gives up on the people of God, God decides enough is enough. We're going to raise someone up like he does in the book of Judges. We're going to raise someone up who's going to save my people and set my people free and win victories for God. And uh, so in Judges 6, he does that. He picks his man. And starting from verse 11, uh, we'll read it. And just see if you can spot the comparison in this guy's character, okay? Here we go. Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizah. Gideon, here he is, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. He's baking in a hole. 
And verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. There's a faith-filled leader right there. 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And did you spot the comparison in verse 15? What does he say? My clan is the weakest. He doesn't say weak. He says weakest. He's looking around. And my clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. God comes to him. And instead of rejoicing that the people of God are going to get set free from their seven years of oppression, or rejoicing that God has come to him, instead of looking straight and seeing God face to face, instead he looks left and right and left and right. And he sees that his people, his people ain't up to much. And then within his family... He sees that within his family, he's the one who's not up to much. He doesn't match up. Now, I was tempted at this point in the talk to broaden this out, rip it from its context, and do a talk about social media, which might come another day. But I think that when I was preparing, God gave me a sense of not wanting to broaden it out to all the ways we compare, but hone it in on these very two things that Gideon compares, that he assumes discount him. Firstly, did you notice he compares his heritage? Maybe you do as well. That you compare your background, your people, your heritage to those around you who seem to be used by God. And you sense that your background disqualifies you from being the one who God wants to use. This could be in a couple of ways. Uh, Perhaps you are a first generation Christian or no one's been a Christian in your family before. And, uh, you know, your granddad Archie wasn't a missionary to the Philippines, and Auntie Jean never planted a church, and you never had Christmas reading Narnia and praying with each other. It's new for you, and you feel like a fish out of water in the church. And actually, your people feel like the people back home who would not get any of this nonsense, right? And you feel like a fish out of water. You feel like Your people are spiritually nobodies. And so at best, you've scraped in, maybe, but you just got to fill a seat and keep your head down because God's looking for someone else. I don't want to steal my thunder, but he isn't. He isn't looking for someone else. Maybe that's not it. Maybe it's your race. Through whatever reason, not least the incredible white bias and seriously unhealthy assumptions underpinning much of the Western church, you perhaps 
for whatever reason, have been forced to discount yourself from certain adventures and responsibilities in the people of God. You've just taken them off the table because you look to your left and your right and you have discerned that your people don't do X, Y, or Z. And therefore, you've assumed God's looking for someone else. I I don't want to steal my thunder, but he isn't. Maybe it's your class or your education. It could be literally anything where being from where you are from leads you to have the hard-to-budge assumption that God is looking for someone else. I hate to steal my thunder, but he isn't, because Gideon's in that place. He is from a people that wouldn't be likely to be used in his mind, and yet God comes to him. He also compares, did you notice, Not just his heritage, but within his own family where he stands. His place in his family. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that for some of us, even if we've had a phenomenally positive family experience, our family experience has left us feeling like an also-ran in our family. Do you remember little David? Little David in the Bible, when someone wants to know who from this household might be used by God, and David doesn't even get called down from his bedroom to line up, because it's so obviously not him. And all the great and the good line up with their pecs and their armor, and they all line up, and little David's playing on his Nintendo, because no one would even call him down. And maybe you feel like that. You know one hates you, you've not had a terrible time in your family but you know that you're dwarfed by the stature of others. You know you're not going to be the highlight of the Christmas letter this year. And maybe you feel the burden of that. Maybe the the where you fit in with siblings or in relation to expectations above you from parents. Gideon's there. And I hate to steal my thunder, but he isn't looking for them only. He's looking for you. And it would be extremely uh, easy now to, and within my tendencies, to go very softly, softly now and go all sensitive and uh, wound lick with you until uh, this evening. But instead of that, I want to firmly, from the word of God, I want to challenge you if this is you. Because I want you to see the consequence of Gideon's comparison. The result of him comparing himself is that while there is work to do, he hides. He hides. Actually, it's cowardice. It is not the time. It was not the time for a follower of God to hide, to stay in the ground. It was wartime. There was a battle to be fought. God's people needed Gideon to step up and step out. It wasn't for his own rep or his own feel good. He was needed because there was a battle. But he's in the hole, hiding, wound licking. And comparison, don't you know, always makes us hide. It always makes us hide. And it's quite obvious that it would do that if we compare ourselves and find ourselves lacking. So I could step out and do this, but I'm terrible, so I'm going to hide. That's quite an obvious way that it would do that. Do you know that even if you compare yourself favorably, it makes you hide? Even if you look around and you see that you're the best, comparison will always make you hide. And it would work like this. I'm the best. I'm better. I'm doing fine. I've got a good place right now. 
And so God calls me to step out and take a risk or win a new battle, and I won't because I've got too much to lose. I might step out and become not the best, so I'm going to hide. I'm always going to hide. Comparison, living by comparison always makes you hide. And for some of us, and for me when I'm not in my right mind, we'd rather be a big shot in a hole in the ground than obediently follow God into a new battle. And it's comparison that does that. And I say this as someone who has already admitted that this is my greatest current and potentially lifelong internal battle. And so this is not me yelling from afar. This is me sitting in a chair with you, hearing the Bible and seeking to grow as well. But if you or I are here and we are holding back in God because of comparison, we need to repent and stop doing that. Because it is not the time, just as for Gideon, it is not the time for people of God, the followers of God, to hide and stay in a hole in the ground. This is wartime. There is a battle to be fought. God's people need you to step up and step out. Not for your own rep or your own sense of how you feel, but God's people, we need you. Do you know the world is far too dark for children of light to be hiding in the shadows. The world is far too dark for children of light to be hiding in the shadows. And so we need to get free of this cancer of comparison. We need to purge it from our lives. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Here's what God does, okay? And I reckon he'd be pretty good to follow in how, what he does with Gideon. So let's take a look. God does two things to bring Gideon up out of the ground. Firstly, God calls him something. Now, if you wanted to be snazzy, God ascribes to him an identity. He calls him something. So much of Western 21st century culture's cancer of comparison is down to the fact that none of us know who we are. And that is a result of our culture ridding itself of how most cultures have answered the question, who am I? For most of history, people, we're going to go cultural two minutes, roll with it, there's a point. For most of history, people have received their identity. They have vertically received an identity. Be it, I'm part of this people group, I'm part of this tribe, and I've been passed down that this is who I am. Or in a relationship with God or a God, uh, we get a vertical identity and we receive it. We are gifted an identity. And of course, to receive an identity from beyond, that can be abused, can't it? Because in history, many times people have imposed an identity upon someone else. The, the Daily Mail calls immigrants cockroaches and imposes an identity upon them. And that can be abused. In evil hands, I'm not having to go at the Daily Mail, but whoever wrote that, in evil hands, the idea that you get an identity from beyond you can be abused. But in good hands or great hands, what it's meant around the world is that most children have grown up with an answer to the question, who am I? And that's the most important human question. They've received who they are. But our culture has taken steps to shake off any given identity, be it from my family or my body or my culture 
or a God or my maker or whatever it might be, we get rid of our given identities. But you might know this if you struggle to know who you are. No one can survive if there are no one, right? And so it's not because we've got rid of our vertical identities that we could have been tethered to. There isn't now a a vacuum. Something has rushed in to take the place, and it's horizontal identities. Who am I compared to who? Where do I fit in? Where's my boundaries? Who's in? Who's out? Who am I above them and us? Hate them? Love us? Don't even know what I'm calling that. But yeah, I'm in with these people and those idiots over there, but at least I'm better than her and at least I'm not like her and let's shame her on Twitter and at least I'm better than them, but anyone who knows me shames me. And all of this nonsense and it comes because we have bereft ourselves from a vertical identity where we know who we are. And now we're on this soulless seesaw of horizontal figuring out who I am. Who am I? I'm the pretty one. I'm the pretty one. Someone prettier comes to church? Oh no, and I'm gone. Who am I? I'm the loud one. I'm the loud one. You're at a party, someone louder arrives. Who am I now? I'm gone. We're on this soulless seesaw. Because comparison is the result of when you don't know who you are. And so our need to be rid of comparison is to receive, to get gifted to us, an identity. Not that we would have to go and grab one by being the best, but that we would open-handed get one, gifted to us. And that is what God does to Gideon. He speaks a ridiculous identity to him. To the guy who's hiding, he says in verse 12, mighty hero. To Gideon, one that his fleshly achievements, that his earthly qualifications could never draw to himself, he is gifted that identity. And that's the beauty of it. God gives an undeserved identity to him, which means that he can't lose it. If he earned it, he could lose it. If he got it by being the best, when he wasn't the best, he'd lose it. He's given an indestructible answer to who am I? Mighty hero. And do you know what? The same is absolutely true of you and absolutely true of me. We don't deserve an answer to the question, who am I? We, me as much as anyone, cut ourselves off from our vertical identity. We shoved two fingers up in his face. We walked away from God and said, I'll make it on my own. We don't deserve an identity gift. But the son of God comes into the world and goes to the cross and he gets cut off from his father and he takes our punishment and then he comes out of the grave. And as we've heard already this morning, he then says, you can have an identity now. And not even that. He says, you can have my identity now. You can be a beloved child of God, eternally beloved by the Father. That's Jesus. And now it's me. And it's you if you're a Christian. You get given when you become a Christian. God's mighty voice bursts in and speaks over you an identity you could never grab by being the best. He gives you one better and one more long-lasting than anything you could get for yourself. We are children of God, chosen, wanted, loved. God calls him something. 
and he calls you something, my son, my daughter. And secondly, God calls him something and then God calls him to something. God ascribes to him an identity and then assigns to him a task, a job, a calling. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. He says, I don't care what the rest of your family have done. I'm sending you. I don't care what the rest of your clan have done. I'm sending you. I don't care what boxes everyone's put you in. I'm sending you. I don't want what the person to your left is doing or what the person to your right is doing. I call you mighty hero, he says to Gideon. And so in line with that, I'm now giving you a task. Come out of your hole, out of your insecurity, your sense of who you are not, and step into the security of who I have said you are, and then go and do a task for me. Go and win a victory for me. Go and win a battle for me. Take ground for me. I am sending you. And Gideon does his millennial uh, bit. He, he goes, oh, no, no, God, like I couldn't. And, and he does his comparing. He announces all the reasons that Yahweh, God Most High, has made a mistake and seeks to think it's humble. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. And he makes all these excuses. And then what happens next is a beautiful picture of the first leadership lesson that I ever heard and remembered. I might have heard others. But this is the first one I heard and remembered. That God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I remember the chair I sat in when I first heard that. And I thought, God might therefore even use me. And he might even use you. God didn't scour the earth, scour Israel, scour the battlefields, looking for a hero or a giant to call. He calls a loser in a hole and places heaven's call on his life and then uses him in astonishing ways. And what qualifies Gideon to do this task, right? It's not his degree. It ain't his public speaking. Okay, it's not how tall he is. In verse 16, God doesn't say, I choose you because you're better than him or more charismatic than her. He says this, I will be with you. That's what qualifies you. I will be with you. It is God's presence that qualifies Gideon to do God's call. It is his presence and only his presence. You got every earthly qualification in the world and you don't have God with you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. If you have no earthly qualifications and you have God with you in a task he's called you to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. And the same is true of us. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. The call comes first. He doesn't scour church central looking for a giant or a hero. Praise God. He calls us when we don't deserve it, when we are small and when we are weak. And then he says, I will use you in ways that you could not imagine. He says, I will make a hero out of you. I will make a giant out of you. You don't need to be a hero or a giant. What qualifies you? It's exactly the same. It's God's, I will be with you. That's what qualifies us. Now, as we uh, begin to wrap up, I might eke it out. 
No, we'll, we'll go, we'll go. Because in a bit, we're going to have a, a chance to respond. I, I believe that this is going to be a significant moment for a few people. We're going to sing a song at the end. going to give you a, a moment to think about it, not rush in. And I'm going to ask for a response to what God's been saying. But as we begin to wrap up, I just want to encourage you, if you struggle with comparison, not only to lean hard into your given identity as a child of God, but also to find the one or two or three things that God has called you to, that God has got for you, that God has said, I don't want you doing what he does, she does. I want you doing this to find out what they are and run until the day you die at those things. Find your call and run at them hard. Find the thing that God has said, I will be with you in this. Of course, he's with us everywhere, Emmanuel. But the things that he said, I am on you for this. And then run at them. Carl Martin in his book, very bright, shiny book, as you'll see, um, Lead, says this on calling. And uh, just so you know, we're all leaders, okay? We're all leaders. We self-lead. We want another in the church. Encourage one another, that's leading. Serve one another, that's leading. Uh, Make disciples of all nations, that's leading. We're all leaders. It's just where you lead and how many you lead and what you're doing about your leadership. But we're all called to be leaders. And uh, Carl Martin says this, the secret to the success of your leadership will be the extent to which you identify the thing that God has got you for. What is your yes? You will never know what to do and what to say no to until you identify your yes. Ask yourself, what has God got for me? Not what is everyone else doing, but what has God got for me? Those of you with your uh, well-honed, watch out for anything that sounds individualistic uh, radar on, will worry that this sounds all very individualistic. What's God got for me? What special task have I got? This is not individualism. This is Christianity. Because if you use your calling for yourself, that's individualism. If you use what God has put you on the planet for, for him and others, that's Christianity. God has got a call for you. It's just how you use it. So do you know the answer to that question? What has God got for me? And if not, you are just going to keep doing whatever keeps it safe, whatever, whatever others assume you should do. Always fearful, always comparing, always on the soulless seesaw of comparison, always running the race someone else thinks you're meant to race, or worse still, running someone else's race badly. God never says run her race or run his race. He says run your race, run the race set before you. And what is that? Because God has called you something and now he's called you to something. And so step up out of hiding and step out. Gideon did. And uh, eventually, if you know him, took him a while. And uh, it was a mixed bag, this boy. And uh, his legacy was mixed. But I tell you what, if the consequence of comparison was hiding, look what Judges 8.28 says the the consequence of calling was. This is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. The enemy was gone. 
Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. The loser in the hole steps up and steps out. And there's victory and peace in the land. What might God do through you? What might happen if you run at what God has got for you instead of worrying whether you're like everyone else? Now, what I want to do is ask our band to come up. Um, and in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And uh, I just want to do, do two things before that. So they, they can come up when they're ready. We've got a bit of time, so don't rush. Um, firstly, I want to put a really geeky, not crescendo of a preach type slide up, um, which, is, which is this. Okay, I have found it incredibly difficult when people have told me to do what God has called me to do. Because I have personally never received a rich, mighty hero, preach a bit. That's, not, that's never happened to me. Um, and so when people say, don't worry, just do what God's called you to do. And I go, no, that's literally the problem. I don't know. And uh, the individualism in the world says, do what you fancy, what feels great. And super spiritualism says, do what the clouds say on a given moment. And uh, I find all of that really difficult. This isn't from the Bible. This is just something that I've seen. And it has helped me ground the question, what am I called to? Uh, if you do something that you're good at and that you love but isn't needed, what's the point? If you do something that you love and your community needs but you flip and stink at it, probably not called to it. If you do something that your community needs and you're great at it, now this is a challenge, but it kills you. Now, you've got to take up your cross, but I don't think God puts us on the earth to do things. And he says, here's what I've got for you, this thing that literally makes you cry every time you think about it. <laughs> That's probably not what our father has done. And we need sometimes need to step into our callings and practice. And, and sometimes some of the things I think I'm called to, I literally hate doing them. But overall, I get a sense of, I think God has said, I'm with you in this. That's calling, I think. It's not in the Bible. And I found that to be very helpful. Maybe that will help some of you. And in a second, we're going to sing. Um, and then at the end, and I'm tipping you off now because I want you to think about it. This isn't for the sake of it. If no one responds, that's fine. Um, but I think there might be three responses that some of you might want to make. And I'm going to tip you off and we're going to sing the song. And then at the end of that, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up if you want to respond in one of these three areas. And I'm going to ask some people, perhaps be getting ready to move around and pray with you. Uh, and then we'll end the meeting. Okay, here's the three responses you might want to make. Firstly, you might recognize that you are living on the seesaw of identity grabbing. Who am I better than? And you want to come off and you want to live from your vertical strong identity. And I'm going to say to you, if that's you, if you want to live out of your given identity again, I want you to respond and we'll get you some prayer for that. Okay. The second thing, I want to think about this calling idea. And if some of you, you, you feel like God's got a call in you, but it's, it's hidden and it's dormant and you want it to, you now want to step up and step out, I want to get you some prayer. If you feel like you've literally no idea what you're called to, but you know God said something to you today, I want you to put your hand up. We'll get you some prayer for that. You're not signing up to go to Africa on mission, okay? You just want to know what I'm called to. Uh, and then the third thing is if you are here and you, you are not a Christian, and therefore the only thing that you have as a way to get your identity, and I lived like this for 19 years, and I'm not judging you, I was there. 
where the only way you've got to get your identity is compared to everyone else. And you heard this idea, you could be given an identity for free as a child of God. And you go, I'm not that. Today you can become a child of God. Because all you do is you say, Jesus, I want your identity. Are you willing to share it with me? Do you know what? He never turns away people who pray that prayer. He's that gracious. And so you can become a child of God today. You turn from your seesaw, follow him. You are a child of God. They're the three responses. Be thinking, be listening. And I'm going to dare a few of you to put your hand up. Let's stand to our feet uh, and let's sing this song.